From the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. And you have found us. We are the Badass Counseling Show. Whether you are checking in from Wake Forest, North Carolina, or all the way up to the high plains of Wyoming, from Tottenham to Trinidad, Gothenburg to Guam, Hessigheim, Heppenheim, Deutschland to Holly, Minnesota, the former home of Dr. Bentley. He was my dentist growing up, and he was actually the president of the American Dental Association at the time. Yes. And I remember an incident where I got sick and threw up and it was bad. From Walla Walla, Washington to Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, known for their women's basketball team. And uh, Vancouver Island, British Columbia to Voyageurs National Park, the only national park in America that does not have roads. Voyageurs National Park in my home state of Minnesota. Just thought I'd throw that out there, people. So it's good to have you here, wherever you are checking in from. This is the Badass Counseling Show. I am your host, Sven Erlinson. I am joined in studio by my producers, KC over in the booth, and Rob the Rocket. Rob, how are you, my man? I'm good. Let's get into it. Your public awaits you, sir. Ah, well, you're so nice. I am live presently on TikTok, on Instagram, and on Facebook. I am taking your questions, and we're started off here. This is a lightning round of the Badass Counseling Show. This podcast, our lightning round podcast, for those of you tuning in, our lightning rounds go up on Sunday evenings, and our counseling sessions, where I have someone calling in, and I counsel them for a session, or sometimes two people, go up on Thursday nights. First question I've got is from DMAC. DMAC says, Sven, give me some info on dog death counseling. Now, there are people who aren't into pets who are going to say, well, that's fucking stupid. All right, I got three dogs, two little Morkies. I've had him in some of my videos and a big old fucking Rhodesian Ridgeback that is actually very large for his breed, her breed, whatever. And uh, I love my dogs and I don't like the idea of my dogs dying. And uh, animal deaths, that's real. That's just as powerful for a whole lot of people. We get so close to our pets. And so you want info on dog death counseling? Yes, there are counselors out there that deal with animal deaths. That's actually one of the things that I do with some of my clients, but you can do it on your own. And it's the usual shit, man. Go into it, feel it, allow those feelings. Don't try to run from it. Don't try to distract yourself. Do your journaling, write your letters. You got to flush that pain out of you. You got to hold on to the memory, a little spot or a little Fido or little Sven, your, you know, cute little Chihuahua, whatever. You got to hold on to those feelings and just allow them to come and flush. Don't be quick to get a new pet. Don't try to fill the void. Don't try to distract yourself. Just stay in it. Stay in it. Keep flushing and the day will come where you feel the sun shining again. The day will come where you find yourself laughing again and you won't feel guilty because you feel like you're cheating your, your animal that died. Dog, animal death is real. If you love your animals, that shit is real. When, you're, when your little fur baby has to go in for surgery or pass away and you're holding them in your arms, that shit is real. I do work with canine units of police forces. And those men and women, I mean, tough, tough sons of bitches, but boy, do they love their animals. So this isn't about, oh, I'm too tough for that bullshit. You love your animal. You love your animal. All right, next question. Fish Maniac says, the death of a pet may be even more worse than a family member. Yeah, for a human family member, for some people, especially the way some families are, right? Okay. Oh, and Jen, I'll just finish it up with what Jen says. Jen Garden Girl says, a pet diary for my pain helped a lot. Keeping a diary about your pet, um, you know, and in your grieving. I think that's fantastic. All right, here we go. Question. How to overcome needing male validation. Example, becoming a people pleaser around men. Okay, how do you overcome that? You really overcome that by finding the root cause. I mean, if you're ever trying to find a solution for anything, you have to determine what the problem is. If you don't have a full understanding of the problem, then any solution you create is gonna be a half solution. So you trying to um, get rid of needing male validation really isn't the solution. The solution is going inside and figuring out where the fuck did this come from that I'm so needing male validation. Now, some people would say, well, I didn't have an adult male role model in my life. That really doesn't answer, sure, that may be true, but that doesn't necessarily answer the question. The reason you're wanting or needing that male validation in your life 
is because you got messages saying that you are invalid. You got messages growing up, even if you grew up in a good home, oftentimes it's most powerful when it's in a good home, you got the message, I'm not good enough, I'm unwanted, I'm unwantable, I'm no good, I'm unlovable, I don't matter, I'm not important, nobody loves me. Those are such extraordinarily powerful messages. And so then what we do is we then spend life trying to get counter messages, trying to get people whoever those types of people are that might be most powerful. In your case, it sounds like it's male validation, but that doesn't necessarily mean that your original wounds and the original messages came from males. It simply means that when it's conveyed from a male for you, whether you are a male or a female, and I can't tell uh, based on your profile there, whether you're a male or a female, that when you get male validation, it has more power. But what it's counteracting is those original messages. And so that means you have to go into your past and begin to identify what the hell those messages were that you received. And you have to begin to articulate and flush out the feelings that come up in you as you think about those messages you received, because you were just a kid. You were just a snot-nosed kid just trying to make your way in the world. You had no power. You were trying to do your best, and you got negative messaging about yourself to the point where even now in adulthood, you're trying to get male validation to basically quell, to squelch, to pack down those voices of the messages you were taught in your childhood. Next question. I'm divorcing a narcissist, and he is trying to destroy me. You have to stand up for yourself. You're divorcing a narcissist and he's trying to destroy you. You have to stand up for yourself. You have to begin to matter. You have to fight. And whether that's done in courts with lawyers or whatever, you have to fight. Why? Because otherwise you'll continue to eat shit. You have to stand up for yourself. Furthermore, you have to, just like I was just saying to the last person, you have to go into your past and find out where you got these messages that say you don't matter, that say you're not good enough, that would cause you to not have boundaries. But you have to begin to stand up for yourself. And in the divorcing of an narcissist, I do want to say this, I'm sorry. I'm sincerely sorry for the pain that you're experiencing, for the pain that you have experienced prior to this divorce. It sucks. It's hard being with someone who's a narcissist or what I call an extreme taker. And you've been giving and giving and giving, right? Under the belief that if I give, then they'll finally give love back. And eventually you realize, no, they're not going to give love to me. They'll only give enough just to keep me. Because if I leave, they want to keep me. Why? Because they want me to keep pouring love into them. I'm their love source. So they only give just enough to make me stay. But you're having the courage to leave, and I applaud you for that. You have to fight for yourself. You have to stand up for yourself, and you have to go back into your past and determine where the hell those messages came from that caused you to just keep giving and keep giving and giving and not drawing your boundaries. Next question. How can I reconnect with my hubby after going through a deep depression? Okay, you've just told me that your depression, the way you tell the story there in that one sentence, your depression caused a fissure, a, a canyon, a crevasse in your relationship. And you're wanting to bridge that breach. You're wanting to reconnect, even though you've fallen out of connection with your husband. And you're asking, how do I reconnect? Um, the, well, the first thing where it starts is with you in your own work on yourself going into what the hell was going on inside of you in your depression and flushing out all of your pain. Hopefully you've been working on your depression, not just taking the pills for it. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but actually going into what the hell was going on inside of you. Have you actually healed from your depression? Have you actually found the root causes of the pains of life that were dragging you down, calling you down into the depression? Have you done that healing work? And if you haven't, then that has to be the first thing you do. Second, what you have to do in your own work with yourself is you have to begin to list for yourself the ways that you believe that you hurt your husband, the ways that you believe you let your husband down, the ways you believe you pushed your husband away. And you need to make that list and you need to feel it. And if you don't feel the pain that you caused your husband, then if he caused pain to you, hey, list that too, that's important. But you're basically saying you want to reconnect after your depression. You imply that you're at fault for the disconnection in the relationship. You need to be able to articulate how you harmed your husband and how you harmed the relationship. And if you can't do that, don't be surprised if he doesn't want to reconnect because you're trying to sort of skate off without having to own it. You guys gotta understand the real thing that is the re-gluing, the gluing in relationships after a breach has occurred or if I've hurt someone, the real thing that makes the difference is contrition, empathy, feeling how that person feels. 
based on what I've done, how I've made that person feel. Because once I can feel what I've done to them, it humbles me. And then I can go to the other person and say, I hurt you and there's no excuse. And I'm so fucking sorry. Sven, what if it was the husband's depression and she's trying to reconnect with him after his depression? All right, well, let's take a look. Good question, Rob. Or even if she didn't ask that, I'm curious about that. Okay, let me just take a look at the question. How can I reconnect with my hubby after going through a deep depression? I got, I'm reading that one as she went through it, but I'm gonna answer your question as a separate question. Rob asked the question, so what if it's the husband's depression and that sort of drove me away or I disconnected or he pushed me away? How do I reconnect with my husband after he's gone through a deep depression? And my response is, in a way, you're already halfway there. The mere fact that you, if the other person caused the fissure in the relationship, the mere fact that you want to reconnect tells me that you're already halfway there. Because very often what happens is when we get pushed away, we don't want to reconnect. So the mere fact that you want to says you're gonna find a way. And how do you do it? You go back and you hold them accountable. And you say, you pushed me away, man. And it hurt, it fucking hurt like hell. And you make sure they own their shit because if you don't make sure they own their shit or if they don't wanna own their shit, they're gonna fucking chew you up in the future. If you don't hold that boundary or if they don't hold themselves to the boundaries, if they try to get away with something, they're gonna try to get away with even more in the future. Just to finish, sort of finish the original thought, how can I reconnect with my hubby after going through a deep depression? You have to own it. You have to feel the pain that you caused him. And if you can't feel that pain, you're gonna try to make excuses. You're gonna try to get away with it. You're gonna try to cover that shit up. And that's gonna be no good for your relationship long-term. All right. Hey, Sven, how do I try to support my husband with his highs and lows he has towards his toxic family? I've been around 18 years and I love him deeply, but it's getting exhausting. I'm going to assume that you have put your needs out there. I'm going to assume that you have told your husband about this. And if you haven't, well, obviously you have to start there. Obviously you have to start by explaining to him what you're feeling, what your needs are. And um, then the question becomes, how does he respond? See, if you put your full truth out there in any situation, all you have to do, whether it's a, with a lover, with a boss, with a friend, if you put it out there, all you have to do is watch how they respond. And they're gonna respond one of two ways. Either they're going to take it serious and they're gonna say, I'm so fucking sorry, and you're right and they're gonna own it, and they're simultaneously going to begin to change their actions, or they're gonna say, I don't know what you're talking about. What, what do you mean? No, I didn't do that. They're gonna de deny, deflect, dodge, right? Thank you. In both cases, thank you. You've just shown me who you are. If they're denying, deflecting, dodging, what they're fundamentally saying, the underlying message they are conveying is protecting myself is more important than taking care of you and then in, and ensuring our relationship. But if they say, you know what, you're right, I'm so fucking sorry and there's no excuse and they attempt to change their behaviors, now you've got someone who gives a shit about you. So you ask the question, how do I try and support my husband with his highs and lows he has towards his toxic family? I've been around 18 years and I love him deeply, but it's getting exhausting. Getting exhausting? 18 years, no. The mere fact that you're saying it's getting exhausting tells me it was probably exhausting years ago. Did you know that there was a body of research done back in the 2000s, and I'm not a psychologist, you guys know that, but there was research done that uh, the average couple has been having uh, relationship problems for six years before they ever go to couples counseling. Six years. In other words, we let stuff get so bad, so bad, before we ever go to get help. Well, it's kind of like in this case, you're saying now it's getting exhausting. Nah, it's been bad for a very, very long time. You're just really feeling the heaviest weight of it now. And I'm willing to bet, and you say, and yet you end by saying it's getting exhausting, yet you say, how can I support my husband with his highs and lows? You're getting exhausted and you're still worried about supporting him? That tells me where the fuck is he supporting you? Why aren't you supporting you? If it's getting exhausting, why isn't your priority? You know, how do I support myself? What do I need to do to keep my myself afloat? And see, here's the problem. You're allowing it to be all about him. I, I'm not trying to be a dick here. I'm not blaming you, all right? I love you and I appreciate the question. But it's like, it's time. You have every right to stand up for you. And if you've put up with this shit for 18 years and his highs and lows have been governing sort of the emotional trajectory of your relationship and your family life with him and with your kids, if you have them, um, that shit's got to end because clearly it's sucking the life out of you. And clearly he doesn't want to take command of the situation with his family. So that implies they have power over him and that's diminishing um, the experience of you in your marriage 
and also your happiness. You have to change it. You're worried about how do you support your husband? Don't anymore. Fucking, have you told him that it's about you? Is he supporting you? I Now your priority has to be about supporting yourself, taking care of your own mental health because if you're getting exhausted, you're probably like at wit's end, right? And it's possible this relationship is all but over, right? Stick a fork in it. But uh, I, I think you are mistaken in thinking that it's about supporting him anymore because my question is, how is he supporting you and why is the emotional uh, temperature of his relationship with his family still having such a profound impact on your relationship with him? That's fucked up. 18 years later, yeah, no, that's, that's no, not okay. All right, next question. I like this one. Listen up on this, all right? All you people who are into self-growth and healing and all that stuff Sven talks about. All right, listen to this. My husband abandoned me during my awakening. Now I'm healed and want a divorce. He doesn't. What now? Oh, yeah. I see this a lot. When one person, when the relationship is stuck in, hey, we signed this sort of social contract back when we met. I'm this person. You're that person. I'm not going to change. You don't change. Except, you know, you go through your 20s and you're going to change. You go into your 30s, your 40s, you're going to change. And if, there, if it's not written into the contract, the code, the understanding of the relationship when you're young, that we're gonna change and grow and we allow room for that. And maybe also, if your path takes you away from me, that's okay. Let's just both support each other in our change and growth as humans. Now, that's a pretty advanced place to be if you're in your 20s. But here you are asking the question, my husband abandoned me during my awakening. He abandoned you. So he walked away. He didn't want anything to do with your awakening. He's like, fuck you. Go awaken on your own. I'm going to go over here and sleep, which is really what he's doing. He's sleeping in his old self. But now I'm healed, you say, and I want a divorce, right? Which implies you've outgrown him, right? Either A, you're pissing him for abandoning you, or B, and or B, he just doesn't meet your needs anymore because you've become a different person. You've become a fuller version of yourself. Do you know that when my tree guy, Craig, whom I love, Craig's awesome. The guys that work for him, they're awesome. They're up in my 70 foot like oaks and elms and shit. And they're like fucking dancing around up there and cutting this and dropping trees. When they pull these giant branches off my trees and these branches may be like two, two and a half feet in diameter off my trees, off one of my oaks, that that oak is still an oak. In fact, it becomes a new version of itself. It grows in different directions. We prune trees. I prune my peonies. I prune my lilies so that they can grow straighter. They can produce more fruit. I prune off dead branches, deadheading, my mother would call it. We do these things to help it grow more full. So in other words, what I'm getting at is you in your awakening, you pruned some things and you found new growth in other areas of yourself and you became a fuller version of the oak you've always been. When that oak is just an acorn, inside of that acorn is the oak. That acorn is the oak, just in a different form. And as we grow and lose branches and gain branches, we become fuller versions of ourselves. So you're saying, my husband abandoned me during my awakening, all right? During your growth, during your shedding of branches. Now I'm healed and I want a divorce. So I want to prune a major branch, a major connection in my life. He doesn't. Of course he doesn't. He won't. He can't bear the thought of letting go. Probably loves you. I'm sure he does. And I'm sure you love him. But he doesn't want the divorce. And you say, what now? If you've truly had your fully awakening and you're fully healed, is what now really your question? Because I think you already know what now. You want the divorce. He doesn't. Why are you asking what now? You know what you want. Just do it. I'm not saying that to scold you or anything like that. But yeah, what I really hear you saying is it's fucking hard. I want it. He doesn't. And probably, I'm betting in the past, to a large degree, you operated on his agenda. And I'm betting that's also what was driving him abandoning you during your, during, during your awakening. That he felt that if he abandoned you, he knew he had a card to play. And that if he abandoned you, he could get you to abort this whole awakening thing. But it didn't work. So he had so much influence, I'm willing to bet that he tried to play every card to get you to not change, to get you to go back to the stony sleep of the original con uh, social contract you guys were in, where he was him, you are you, and here we shall never change, we'll be happy forever, and even if we're not, God damn it, we're together. But you went and changed, and he tried to abandon you to get you to stop, and now he doesn't want the divorce. He's 
digging his heels in. He's throwing on the emergency brake. He can't bear to have you leave. And in part, probably because if you have been meeting his needs and letting him run the agenda to some degree, he doesn't want to lose that control. He doesn't want to lose the source of love. But also, let's assume he's a nice guy. He just doesn't want to lose love. Maybe he's got a big heart. Loves you, doesn't want to lose it. And that's unfortunate. And part of life, and here's the real stinker part, part of becoming our most authentic selves people is that sometimes we lose people. Sometimes people walk away from us. This often happens with family, siblings, parents, whatever. When we're changing, when we're growing, when we're awakening, when we're healing, when we're becoming our fullest self, people walk away from us. People we thought might have been with us forever. People we thought loved us forever. They walk away because they want us to be who we used to be. They're married to the idea of who we used to be. And sometimes we walk away from people as we more fully become our most authentic selves. Why? Because we've outgrown people, precisely as uh, this person is saying, wanting to divorce her husband. And sometimes we cause people pain. And if you have kids involved and you get a divorce, yeah, it's going to cause them pain. It is. Is it going to destroy them forever? No. Because in order to assert that, you would have to look in the face of every single person who has ever been the child of divorce and say, you're destroyed forever. And they'd say, well, I was for a while or it hurt for a long time, but I'm not destroyed forever. Don't fucking insult me. Fuck off. Right. So no, it's not going to destroy them forever. And they'll heal, especially if they're, they have parents who take healing seriously. But you want to divorce, your husband doesn't, what now? Get the divorce. You want it? Go for it. And, you know, if you're loving, you'll give room. You'll still be firm in what you want, but you'll give room and be understanding of your husband's sadness or sorrow. If he's manipulating you, don't give room for that. Uh, but yeah, uh, healing and awakening and uh, self-care and becoming our most authentic self, it comes with pruning of branches. And that's part of the price of life. I have so much more to come with so many more kick-ass fucking questions in about two motherfucking seconds right after this short break. I counseled with Badass Counseling for about four months and Sven completely turned my life around. He kicked my butt. No shit. He made me do homework too, but I was so ready for a change that I just did it all. I'm telling you, he changed my life. Thank you so much, Badass Counseling. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. And we are back with a lightning round of the Badass Counseling Show. I'm Sven Erlinson, your host, and we are taking listener questions live. All right. What about a guy who responds with thank you to I love you or spending 10 nights of 365? Now, because of the platform I'm taking this question on, you only get like, I don't know, 100 characters, whatever. So I'm going to have to do a little interpretive dance here. <laughs> well, I would ask the question, how long have you guys been together? You know, and, you know, maybe slow, just, you know, not ready to say it. And that's Okay. But in a way, uh, I mean, what it conveys to me is either A, he doesn't love you, or B, he does love you, but is afraid to say it yet. It's one of those two things. And if you're saying I love you to someone and they're responding with thank you, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But the question becomes to you, it's really not even about them. The question to you is, how long will you allow that in your life before you don't want that anymore? Before you want someone who just says I love you? Before it's like, you know what? I don't even really care what the reasons are, whether it's because you know, you don't love me or because you're afraid to say it. If you want to talk about that shit with me, I'd love to hear about it. Let's talk about it. But if you're not even going to talk about it with me, a thank you as a response to my saying I love you, it just reads a point where it gets old. No, I want a relationship that's moving forward. Now, if you have a lover who says thank you when you say I love you and they say, and here's why, it's because I'm really afraid and I'm afraid of getting connected and I had my heart hurt or, you know, I'm just afraid to be vulnerable. Where they're talking their shit out, oh my God, that's fucking gold. You gotta you you ask the question, what about a guy who responds with thank you to I love you? If that guy is also talking about why he's not saying thank you, you got gold. A guy who talks shit out like that, that's fucking gold. But eventually, if you get those thank yous to your I love yous, if you get them long enough, you're gonna be like, I'm so fucking out of here. I don't wanna deal with this bullshit. I want someone who just loves me and openly expresses it. Um and then you said, or spending 10 nights of 365. Yeah, this is someone potentially who's using you. Uh, if they're only spending 10 nights uh, a year with you, um, maybe they have someone else or maybe they just don't want to get close to someone. But the point is the thank you to the I love you and the 10 nights out of 365, what you're conveying quite clearly is I want more. This isn't good enough. I want more. 
eventually getting less, not getting the amount you want is no longer fulfilling and you walk away and you have to do that for yourself rather than holding on to a relationship uh, that is shitty and unfulfilling. All right, next question. I'm a domestic violence survivor. I have a protective order against my ex. What books do you recommend uh, to heal? To be very honest with you, my book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup. I don't know of a single book that will take you deeper and challenge the hell out of you and push you and kick your ass more than There's a Hole in My Love Cup. You can get it at the website. Um, I have some other recommendations I'm gonna make, but you can get it at the website, uh, badasscounseling.com. It's available as an audiobook, as an ebook, and as a paperback. Um, and the audiobook is only available at badasscounseling.com. But also inside, the other reason I recommend my book is because inside the book on page five or six, I have a strongly recommended reading list. And these are nine of the powerful books that influenced me. And I read like a thousand. I was in my 12 year suicidal depression. I read about a thousand books, self-help, theology, spirituality, psychology, fucking new age, fucking all sorts of shit, all right? They're nine very powerful books, very effective healing tools uh, to help you in addition uh, to my book. But those are my recommendations. Whether you're recovering from domestic violence or uh, extreme taker in your life, or you have parent issues, sibling issues, whatever it is, you gotta go deep into the shit. Next question. If your parents set a bad example for a relationship, how do you not wind up in the same cycle? By going into that bad example, by going into your childhood and examining what are the messages that I received in childhood? Well, how do you do that? I walk you through it in the book that I just mentioned. There's a hole in my love cup. You examine what was it about their bad example for a relationship. And this is where you need pen and paper. And you should be writing everything out about this bad example of relationship. What was it about it that was bad? Well, mom was this, dad wasn't that, dad was this, mom wasn't that. And they weren't around. And also, you know, how they parented and the things that they, uh, their own self-talk to themselves, the crosstalk between the two of them and children pick up all this stuff and the impacts that that had on you. Well, the, and if they set a bad example, that means that potentially you miss red flags in the beginnings of your relationship. Why? Because they aren't even red flags. They were normal in your childhood. Well, you have to go into all of this shit so that you can begin to see your own relationships differently. But it means going in, it means going back into the past and pulling all that stuff out and beginning to look at it. And a lot of people are terrified of it. Why? Because it's painful to look at and think about. All right, next question. Oh, you guys are gonna like this one. Here we go, this is a fun one. Hi, Sven. I'm a travel nurse, away a lot. Uh, and for those of you that don't know what travel nurses are, they go to, uh, you know, I have some siblings who are nurses and so forth. You, there are so many nursing jobs around, at least in the U.S., and you can go to another city, go work in Phoenix if you're from, you know, Walla Walla, Washington. And, you know, for as long as you want to stay or as long as the need persists, and then you can go to another city or you can go back to your city and so forth. Um, anyway, so I am a travel nurse, Sven, and I'm away a lot. My husband is asking, how would you feel about an open marriage? He said, I am selfish if I don't agree. Does it make me selfish? Really? Okay. <laughs> Did you guys hear that? Just listen to that. Rob, Rob, step in here before I put it out to the masses. What do you hear in that? You're going to knock this one out of the park. I know that for sure. <laughs> it's just right over the center of the plate. Here we go. Hi, Sven. I'm a travel nurse. I'm away a lot. My husband is asking, how would you feel about an open marriage? He said, I'm selfish if I don't agree. Does it make me selfish? Really? That's the question. All right. Uh, raising the question about how you'd feel about an open marriage in and of itself is nothing wrong with that. Anything is fair game. You can always bring something up. You can always talk about it. So your husband bringing up, you know, interest in, a, in an open marriage, hey, First of all, at least he's talking about it because there are plenty of people who don't talk about it who just go fucking cheat. Fuck you, I'm gonna make my own open marriage unilaterally. We now have an open marriage, at least in my brain. I'm just not telling you about it. Okay, so there's that. So at least he's saying it. Hey, let's give the guy a smidgen. Uh, but then it's shortly after that that we go wrong. He's asking how he feels about an open marriage. Now, I'm willing to bet that when you're gone, he's probably you know feeling a little horned up and it's potential, reasonably high potential that he's already got someone in mind. Now he may not. I'm not. I don't want you to go on, you know, go on a, you know, tear here. But uh, what you say next is tells me so much more. You said he said I am selfish if I don't agree. Okay, now he's manipulating you. Now he's manipulating you. He's allowing you, allowing as if he has the power. 
in order for him to approve of you, in order for him to not denounce you, he's saying you get one choice. You have to say yes. If not, you're a fucking asshole. Okay, that now we're not in a conversation anymore. Now he's trying to exert his power to make you do what he wants. Okay, now that's someone being manipulative. Now he's just showing me, he's just showing us that he's not on the up and up. He has something he really wants and he's willing to make you feel like the bad guy for him to get what he really wants. Now I'm really thinking he already has someone in mind and he's just going to bend your fucking arm until you agree and he's willing to make you feel bad. The most troubling part isn't though that he's trying to manipulate you. The most troubling part is your next sentence where you say, does it make me selfish? And the reason that's troubling for me is that you actually believe you might be the selfish one here when he's saying that. That tells me that he has, either he has or you have so occluded your vision, so fogged your vision that you can't see that for the clear, blatant manipulation that it is. And that's troubling. That tells me that potentially he's manipulated you before in the past and you didn't see it then. That he's doing it this now on something with as such high stakes as an open marriage. And that's very high stakes. Um, the mere fact that he's doing it now says he's likely done it on small and medium stuff in the past, potentially large stuff in the past. Uh, so, but to answer your question, does it make you selfish? Um, okay. He says, how would you feel about an open marriage? How would you feel? It sounds like you... He doesn't even care how you feel. He's telling you, if you don't feel what I want you to feel, then you're selfish. And that's just bullshit. That's just manipulative arm twisting. Um, and you're saying you don't agree. So in other words, you're saying, I don't think it's selfish. But then you ask the question, does it make me selfish? And I'm saying, no, it doesn't make you selfish. <laughs> it just makes you you. Rob, you're giggling I, way in. He's saying, I want to cheat. And if you tell me, uh, no, you're the bad guy. Right. Okay. Right. Although technically he didn't say he wants to cheat. He's saying, I want to have sex with someone else or have a relationship. So cheating would be, well, actually tacit in that is I want to cheat, but the mere fact that he's talking about it says that he's actually potentially not yet cheating. In his heart, he is. Well, yeah. And we know what Jesus thought of people who cheat in their heart. Okay. Um, anyway. <laughs> uh, but I'm not giggling to minimize the problem. This is serious. It doesn't make you selfish. No, it doesn't. And so the question becomes, are you going to stand up for your feelings or are you going to be manipulated? And what will be really fucking fascinating, if you were my client, I'd say, stand up for your feelings. Don't agree. Then let's see what he does. Oh, and by the way, put a tracker on his car. Serious. Put a little fucking tracker. You can get him. Go on Amazon. Just put a tracker on his fucking car. There's so many places you can put it on a car where it won't get, where they're likely to not find it. Or put a fucking, some people are so stupid, they still allow you to track their phone or whatever. Or if you guys share a family phone plan, like Verizon or whatever, just go on Verizon and you can look at his phone number. You'll see every single fucking phone call he makes or every call that comes in and that at least gets you in the ballpark, right? You have every right to do that. If he's bringing up something like this, it's serious enough. Now he may not do anything wrong. He may not. And God bless him if he doesn't. But if you stand up for yourself and don't back down, he's kind of at a make or break because clearly he's wanting something and you're saying, um, no. Now, he's either got to man up and say, you know what? Okay, I, I'm going to do without it or man up and say, sweetheart, I love you, but I want to move on with my life. Both of those would be manning up because at least he's having the balls to say it to your fucking face or he's going to be the little fucking coward and go and be the weasel and go take it behind your back and lie. Or let the relationship deteriorate shit such that you're the one that has to break it up rather than him being a fucking man and owning it and doing what he knows he wants to do and having the decency to end it. All right, next question. In all capital letters, oh my God, I can't with you. Put a tracker on his car, laughing my ass off. Yes. Um, hey, I mean, come on, man. If you, once you go out there and you know, and you bring up you know, open marriage, which I'm not necessarily opposed to. That's not it. But you better play by the fucking rules because you've just exposed yourself to saying, I want something outside of this relationship. And there's nothing wrong with saying that. But you've raised the stakes. That's for sure. All right. Oh, I like this one. How do you know when to date after divorce? All right. That's a fair question, right? You've been with someone a long time and then the pain, the storm and the drung of, uh, of divorce and you're going through it. How do I know when to date? Well, a couple of quick things as sort of orientation points. Have you flushed out all of your pain, all of your disappointment, all of your fear, all of your anger, all of your rage, all of your sadness, all of your frustration? 
Have you been doing the journaling work? Have you written letters to your ex? Letters that maybe you don't send. Have you been doing the, the healing work? Have you? Seriously, have you been doing it? Okay. And if so, how much have you done? And if so, what feelings? Here's the way of knowing whether or not you're kind of ready. How much of the feelings regarding the divorce, regarding your ex are still inside of you? Do you still feel hate when you think of them? Do you still feel anger? Do you still feel sadness? Do you still feel disappointment? Nothing wrong with any of those feelings, but you've still got healing to do. Because if you don't heal on those and flush them out and flushing them out and flushing it out, if you don't do that, then you're carrying those into any new dating situation, into any new relationship. You've got unfinished feelings from past relationships, and that's the shit that corrupts new relationships. It's just like the shit from childhood. Unhealed feelings from childhood are corrupting every single friendship, every single uh, career decision, every single new love relationships. Past shit corrupts present shit. And an immediate uh, divorce that you've just come out of, you've got healing work to do. But you'll know when you've, you've done it, when you don't have strong feelings, when it's just another part of your story. And you've done the work of flushing it out and flush it out. And then it's just like, I, you know, there's no rage, there's no anger. It's like, it's part of my story now. And maybe you've even mined it for the gems of wisdom that it taught you about yourself and about life. Then you're ready. And I guess the other way you know you're ready to date after divorce is, would it feel good to date? And not feel good in terms of it would be an escape from all my feelings of my past, but feel good in terms of my life is actually good without dating, but this would make it even better. That's when you know you're ready to date, but you gotta heal the shit flush out the shit from the past. All right. Well, and on that notion of feelings from the past, um, I've got one, two, three, four questions lined right up here. Why do I have zero emotions anymore? 51. Why do I have zero emotions? Because you've been packing them down your whole life. Likely your feelings don't matter. You were taught that your feelings don't matter. It's not that you don't have feelings. It's that you were taught that it's not safe, that you're not allowed to have feelings which means you have other messages in there. You don't matter. Your feelings don't matter. You're unwanted. You're unlovable. It's all of that crud that's been packed in your love cup. All of those negative messages have to come out first, and then your feelings will naturally flow, and it might be a bit uncomfortable if you've never really shown emotions in the past, but they're in there, and they will come out. But if you have zero emotions or you have trouble expressing emotions, it's because you have other messages in there. And again, that's what I wrote the book for, to help you get all the crud out of the love cup that's blocking all of your feelings all of your authentic feelings, all of your love, all of your good feelings. All right. Then I've got another question here. My friends have a hard time understanding me wanting to stay single after a divorce. Okay. So they have a hard time understanding. Um, I'm sure you still love them, but fuck them. It's your life. Live it your way. If you want to stay single after a divorce, stay single after a divorce. And they can either choose to support you or not support you. And if they choose to not support you, you have every right to say, hey, don't fucking treat me this way. You know? And it's perfectly okay in any situation to say, listen, I'm going to allow you two reactions here, either positive or neutral. Negative, I don't have room for. I'm going through a divorce. You can attempt to explain to them, but then after a bit, you don't really have to. Because if they've gone through what you've gone through, they'll probably understand. If they haven't gone through it, they may not understand. And it's not your job to make them understand. But you know, part of a friendship is where we support each other, right? So hopefully they'll support you even if they don't understand. But you got to do you even if they don't understand. All right. Okay, here we go. This is one that I'm guessing not a lot of us have dealt with, some, but not a lot. I have not, but I'm gonna, I have had plenty of clients who have, so I'm gonna take this question. Hi, Sven. My boyfriend got back into drugs. I asked him about using, he denied it, claiming it's part-time, crack slash coke, okay? He's now shut me out, not taking calls or texts. What do I do at this point? Walk off? All right, I'm gonna read it one more time. Hi, Sven, my boyfriend got back into drugs. I asked him about using and he denied it, which implies that you have got some evidence. Yeah, whether how he's acting or you found paraphernalia or something, uh, how would you know uh, if he'd gotten back into it unless you had some evidence or some hunch? Anyway, I asked him about using, he denied it, claiming it's part-time crack and cocaine. Uh, part-time crack and part-time cocaine. He's now shut me out, not taking calls or texts. What do I do at this point? Should I walk off? Um, clearly he believes that shutting you out gives him power over you. Clearly he sees that as a vulnerability. He's playing a card because he doesn't like the fact that you called him out. He doesn't like the fact that you didn't buy into his reality. And his reality is I'm not using drugs. And if you don't buy into that reality, he's going to fucking either hurt you or 
contort you, use his power to bend you to accept his reality. Now, forgive me for asking the obvious question, but why do you want to stay in a relationship with someone who is using crack and coke and who also denies it? And more importantly, I want to put something in front of you, and that is, is it possible that, you know, you say, I want to leave now uh, because he's not taking my calls, but also, you know, he's using drugs again. If, if I were to ask you the question, which boyfriend do you dislike more or which boyfriend do you like more? The one who he's using or when he's sober? Now, you're likely going to say to me, well, Sven, what a dumb question. I, of course, like the boyfriend who's sober and not, you know, and who's clean, and who's not using. And uh, what I would say is, no, that's not true. That's the one you're actually angriest at. And you'd be like, what the fuck does that mean? Why would I be angriest at the one that's sober? Because that's the one that doesn't get help. He gets sober and then he goes back to using. When he's using, he doesn't know how to get help. When you're using, you don't know your ass from your elbow, right? It's when you're sober and not going into rehab, not getting help. That's the one you're most fucking angry about. And you've got one who's back into using crack, cocaine, and cocaine, and he shut you out. He's trying to leverage you to accept his reality, to shut the fuck up and let him use his fucking drugs. And he's not taking your calls or texts. This is clear fucking manipulation. What do you do at this point? You get out. In part, because why would you want to be in relationship with someone who's using drugs? Furthermore, why would you want to be in relationship with someone who's gone back into using drugs? Furthermore, why would you want to be in a relationship with someone who denies it? Furthermore, why would you want to be in a relationship with someone who not only denies it, but tries to manipulate you by withholding love, by not taking calls and texts? No. Get the fuck out. Do yourself a favor. And that means you also need to dive into your feelings of feeling hurt and feeling angry and feeling upset and feeling alone. You have to deal with all of those feelings um, and flush all of that out, out of you. Otherwise, you're just going to walk into another relationship that repeats it. Next question. When I try to have a serious conversation about issues in our relationship, my husband gets defensive, gets angry, and says I'm attacking him. Hard to make any deep connection. Well, first of all, Tammy, I'm sorry for... Uh, that that is very difficult and I know a lot of uh, my listeners and clients have been through the same thing I'm going to read it again when I try to have a serious conversation about our issues in our relationship my husband gets defensive gets angry and says I'm attacking him it's hard to make any deep connection yeah it is if we don't talk about our problems and we don't talk about our real feelings and what's really going on inside it's hard to connect to anyone whether it's a lover or a friend or whatever and the problem, though, in this situation is he gets defensive, gets angry, and says, I'm attacking him. So he can't handle it. He can't, likely can't bear the thought that he's in the wrong or has contributed to the deterioration of their marriage, can't handle the serious conversations. I'm going to assume that you're not attacking him, that when you say, I want to have a serious conversation about our issues or issues in our relationship, um, that it's not strictly attacking. I'm going to assume that you're owning your shit as well. And defensive and angry says he doesn't want to talk about it, likely doesn't want to discuss how he might be wrong. Now, that's probably his own shit from his own past, where if I admit anything that I've done wrong, that shines light on me and I am inadequate or I'm no good. Um, and so what do you do? You keep putting it out there until you get sick of putting it out there. You keep putting it out there. You keep trying until it's like, fuck it. Nothing's changed. Nothing's going to change. I want someone that I can be have a connection with and love. And if it's not you, if you don't want to do this, I mean, you're, what you're really confronted with, Tammy, is the question of how long do I want to continue to have a relationship where I don't feel connected to this person? Now, you don't say how long you've been together, whether it's two years or, or 15 years, and that point may come where you have to walk away, where I want a connection more than I want to be with this person. Whatever, clearly this relationship brings you something, Tammy. Clearly it brings you something or some things. And, and those feel good. And this notion of him getting defensive and feeling attacked and getting angry, this isn't a new phenomenon. This has been going on for quite some time. You wouldn't be reaching out in a public forum or in any forum unless it had gotten to the point where you're sick of it, where you're over it, where it's getting to be too much. That means it's been going on a long time. And so what you're really being forced with is not what to do with regard to your husband. Because your husband's been doing it and clearly he has no interest in changing and you've put out there your frustrations and so forth. What you're really dealing with is what do I choose for me? What do I really want? This relationship, and I'm betting if you're with him, he must be a good guy in some ways or you get something out of this relationship, all right? 
It can be anything. It could be friendship. It could be security. It could be whatever it might be. You're getting something out of this relationship. And yet there are great things lacking and I want more. And so what you're being confronted with is who am I really? What do I really want? And do I have the courage to go after what I really want? And maybe what you really want is this relationship, even warts and all, as my mother would always say, warts and all, right? Or maybe it's not. And so you're being confronted with a really hard decision of, you know, who am I? And, you know, and though that the answer to that decision changes over time. When we're 30, when we're 25, you don't say if you're 25 or if you're 50 or, you know, whatever, maybe you're 75. I don't know. Uh, but the bottom line is, is to some degree that affects the algorithm of the equation. But on the other hand, it doesn't. Because it's like, for me, I'm 55. It's like, fuck, I just want to be happy, man. If I get 30 more years, you know, 40, I don't know, 20 more years, five more years, I want them to be fucking happy. But everyone's different. So really what's inside of your question is, what do you want for you? Who are you really? What are your values, your priorities? Because it sounds pretty clear your husband's not going to change. And I'm sorry for that. Um, Because you've tried and tried and you can keep trying, but it's pretty clear at some point. All right, next question. What if I have too many emotions and just cry and overreact to everything? Oh, what that means is you've got so much messaging inside of you. It's not just pain. See, the too many emotions, so many people think, well, if you have so many emotions and you're crying a lot or you're getting angry a lot, it's pain. And pain is a big part of it. And a lot of psychology, a lot of counseling deals with getting out that pain. But the pain is only part of the equation. What's also in there is fear. And but what's really in there are the bullshit beliefs you were taught about yourself. That's what's really causing the pain. And all of the emotions you have find their root back in usually childhood and the messages you got about yourself and how those messages feel and how those messages get confirmed and reconfirmed by new people that you have in your life, friends, lovers, etc. And so it's not that you have too many emotions. There's, there is no such thing. You have the emotions that you have, but you're flushing out all those surface emotions and what you're feeling, but never really going down to the core. The only way to solve the whole metric, the whole equation is to go down to the core, to the real messages and the real pains that were done by that. And very often we stay stuck in today's pains and this week's pains and this year's pains because we're terrified to go to the real shit. And that's what you have to do. And once again, as you've heard me say before, that's what the book is for. There's a hole in my love cup, the audio book, the ebook, the paperback. That's what this is for, to take you down to the real core messages because that's at the root of your problems. That's the shit that's gumming up your love cup. All right. I used to cry so much and now nothing, like a light switch. Oh yeah, you had to shut it down. It was overwhelming you. And the truth is you're not gonna heal until you go in. And you go in, just start with a little stuff. Go with the fucking person cutting you off in traffic yesterday, but you have to go in and start flushing it out, being deliberate about flushing out the pain, people. You have to. Why? Otherwise, you're going to be numb for the rest of your life. And just for the record, numb is a feeling. Numb, dead, inside is a feeling. So start with that. Why am I feeling numb? What's really going on? I feel dead every single day. I feel bored. I feel da-da-da. And I uh, mentioned other books inside of here. Inside of my book, there's a hole in my love cup that will also help you heal. All right. This is actually really interesting. When an intimate or romantic situation happens... I purposely avoid any companionships or relationships. Okay, so when you get an intimate or romantic relationship, then you avoid other companionships or other relationships is what I hear you saying. And you say, I purposely avoid them. Um, I know this sounds dumb, but my question I want to ask you is why? Why do you avoid those other companionships? It's almost as though you avoid them as a way because you fear negative feedback from those other companionships about the romantic relationship you're in or you don't want other people's input or where you're really setting yourself up for problems. You say, when I'm in an intimate or romantic situation, I purposely avoid any companionship or relationships. Where you set yourself up for failure there is you're then dependent upon this intimate or romantic situation to provide all of your love needs. And that is a recipe for death and destruction in an intimate or romantic relationship. Why? You're putting all your needs for love on one person. I can't meet my lovers, all of my lovers' uh, intimate needs, love needs. I can't. And nor can my lover meet all of my needs. I get love from Rob. I get love from KC. I get love from my kids. I get love from, you know, my listeners and my uh, clients. They give love in their own ways. If I cut all those out and just depend on one person, my lover for my love needs, it's putting a tremendous onus on that person. Nobody's going to meet that. They're going to wither on the vine. They're going to feel like I'm heavy, like I'm dead weight. I would kill that relationship by expecting this one person to uh, meet all of my love needs. And so 
I would encourage you to not do that, but there's a fear driving that equation. You've got to ask yourself, what's the real fear that's causing me to do that? All right, now I'm going to take one last question. Why are the dead and numb people attracted to me? Well, it's possible that you bring feelings. Or it's possible that you're dead and numb too. If you bring feelings, you bring emotion, you bring excitement, you bring something that makes them feel alive. If they are, if people are dead inside or numb inside or cut off from their feelings or all they feel is lethargy and numbness and deadness and boredom, then what are they going to want? If they want to feel something in life, they're going to attract to them or pull close to them things and people that make them feel alive. Or if they are dead and numb, that says that they are uncomfortable with feelings or they've been taught that their feelings don't matter or they try to avoid their feelings. And so they bring you into their life because you don't bring up feelings. You don't push them on feelings. The question we had earlier from Tammy was about feelings and how her husband doesn't want to deal with feelings and her feelings, right? And so sometimes we don't want people around us who make us feel things. So my follow-up question on that would be, you know, they're either wanting you there because you make them feel something. In other words, they're using you to get their own needs met because they don't want to touch their own feelings, which sucks, which means you're going to have an unfulfilling relationship just like Tammy because these people aren't fucking in touch with their fucking feelings. They don't want to touch them. They want you to have feelings. They're going to sort of siphon off you, but they don't want to touch their own fucking feelings, and that's going to suck the fucking life out of you. All right. Oh, gosh, I'm taking one more. Sorry, tough. How do you get your significant other to set boundaries with his toxic mom? She lives with us. How do you do it? You put your needs out there. You state what you want. You state what you need. You state it clearly, and that's that. Then if he doesn't do it, then you do it again. Then you do it like a third or fourth time. And if they refuse to do it, first of all, you make sure you are setting your boundaries with your with his mother. But then you basically have to, it's not about getting him to do it anymore. Once you've asked and he has neglected your ask or she has neglected your ask, then you have the decision to make. Just like Tammy earlier, you have to decide who am I and what do I want? And maybe you need to move on with a relationship or maybe you need to tell him, listen, I'm going to move on with a relationship. I'm not just bluffing. If you don't set some boundaries because this is fucking destroying us and I don't want your toxic mother in this house. Maybe you have to ask toxic mother to leave. Maybe she has to no longer live with you or maybe you need to leave. The two of you need to leave. But you need to have your life because if a third person is sucking the life out of your marriage, you have every right to stand up and say no and not only stand up and say it, but not back down. All right, fine humans. As usual, this has been a really interesting episode of the Badass Counseling Show, Lightning Round. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have because I have really, really, really enjoyed it. Rob, what have you thought of today's Lightning Round episode? We played 20 questions, Ben, exactly, and it was well done. I hit my numbers. How about that? Rob likes it when I take more questions. I sometimes just like the riff. Sometimes I like multiple questions. It just depends how I'm feeling. And it's been a good night, a good night here in the New York City tri-state area. And so I want to thank everyone for checking in to yet another exciting episode of the Badass Counseling Show. Whether you are checking in from Munich or Positano, Thief River Falls or Gothenburg, Tottenham, Trinidad or Voyageurs National Park, it is just great to be with you. Thank you so much for your loyalty, for checking in, for being a part of the Badass Counseling Show. On behalf of my producers, KC and Rob the Rocket, have a kick-ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day. Hey!